Amen. We are continuing to talk about vintage Christianity. We've been away from, uh, away from it for just a couple of weeks, and now we're going to come back and uh, continue in the book of James. We're going we're to finish up James, uh, Lord willing, right around the end of this month, but we still have a little ways to go. We're looking at, at the book of James, uh, kind of verse by verse, uh, about, two chap- about two sermons per chapter, and uh, we are... We are today in chapter 4, and we're talking today about why the Christian life doesn't work sometimes. I'm saying it doesn't work, but why does sometimes it not work? So find James 4, verse 1, and let me tell you a story that happened just, I believe it was in, would have been in 2006. In 2006, I was working as a chaplain on, on, at Camp Pendleton uh, Marine Corps base uh, for a few months, and and as I was working there, uh, part of the responsibility that I had was to interview uh, pretty much everybody getting off the plane from Iraq and Afghanistan as they were coming back from spending uh, seven months to a year or more uh, in, in country there. And, and so they were having to come and talk to the chaplain, uh, whether they wanted to or not. And so I had some interesting conversations, to say the least. But one of the conversations stood out in my mind because this, this, this Marine came and he, and he sat down across from me in my office and he said, Chaplain, can I ask you something? And I said, sure, that's why we're here. And, and he said, he said, he said, I, I'm, I'm, he said, I really want to make a statement, I guess, more than a question. He said, because he didn't know how to approach it. He said, I'm glad religion works for you, Chaplain. I've tried it, but it didn't work for me. And he didn't know what to do with that. And, and, and so, so I asked him to kind of break the ice. I said, well, well which one, we're talking about religion, I said, which, which one did you try? And, and he said, Christianity, Baptist. He said, I, was, I grew up Baptist. And, and I said, well, just out of curiosity, how did it not work for you? What part didn't work? in that combination. And, and he said all of it. He said, he said, really, the whole thing didn't work. He said, none of it seemed to work for me. He said, I went to church every Sunday until I was 18 years old. He said, I, I had done everything that you're supposed to do. I had, I had asked Christ to be my Savior when I was a kid. I had been baptized at that point. He said, I was there all the time. He said, I, I, um, I, I did everything. I, I prayed, and, and, my, and my life never got better. He said, I came to the conclusion God doesn't answer prayers. He said, I think you pray for things, and whatever happens is what was going to happen anyway. And, and it was just too difficult to live up to the code, and so I gave up. And, and I've heard that kind of thing before. That didn't, that didn't shock me. It didn't surprise me. It saddens my heart. But it didn't, it didn't, it didn't make me lose my faith. Uh, and, and, and usually, you know, uh, the, you know, I tried it before and it, and it doesn't work. Argument is a defense mechanism that, that people will use. And, and that, you know, they, they, they don't want to hear your sales pitch as a Christian or as a pastor coming in or chaplain, whoever it might be. Uh, but he surprised me by asking me the question he really wanted to ask. He said, why does it work for you, chaplain, and not for me? 
Why does it get to work for you, but it didn't work for me when I seemed to do all the stuff that I was told I needed to do and to do it right? And, and I thought for a minute, and I said, well, let me tell you something. Sometimes it doesn't always work for me either. I said, sometimes I pray and nothing seems to happen. Sometimes I try to do good, but things don't work out the way that I planned. And, and, and I've been at this, and at that point, I, I think I told him I'd been at this for about 45 years, uh, being a Christian, and, uh, and I still don't live up to the code the way I would like to. And, and he said, well then, in that case, why, chaplain, do you keep up the charade? It's a legitimate question, isn't it? Why would you keep up the charade then of, of this Christian life? And I said, because it's not a charade. Uh, it's, it, when Christianity doesn't work, it, I've, I've learned that it's not because Christianity is the problem. It's because I'm the problem. If it's not working, it's because I'm the problem keeping it from working. And it's because I'm doing something wrong. It's not God who's doing anything wrong. And so I, I told my new Marine buddy uh, that, that when we use Christianity to get what we want, whether it's an easy life or a better job or a good marriage or, or even happiness, then we're really approaching Christianity with the wrong, the wrong motives. Um, you know, I, can, I told him, I said, I can't look into your heart. I don't know why you did the things that you did that you thought you were doing right and what you were what you were doing them for and what you're hoping to get out of that. I said, I, I just can't do that. But in my experience, when the Christian life didn't work for me the way that I hoped it would or I thought it would, there was plenty of times that it didn't. He said, I said in that 45 years, it's because I was going about it the wrong way. It was my problem, not God's problem. And, and Jesus does promise us a life, that a, a Christian life that will be a good life. He doesn't promise us a life that is going to be an easy life, in case you're wondering. In case you're thinking, well, I'd like the easy life. That's not what he promises. He promises one that's going to be good. He promises one that's going to be filled with joy, that it's going to have fulfillment uh, and purpose. And he promises that our prayers are going to be answered and that we will experience in, 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 uh, in that in that. In that life, God's power in our lives. He promises miracles. He promises his peace. He promises uh, blessedness that can be best described in our vernacular maybe as, as just he promises us good old-fashioned happiness. Uh, and everyone in their right mind wants that kind of life, don't they? Every one of us in here would sign, and we, you know, we have. We signed up on the dotted lines, and that's what I want. Um, and, and so, but the question becomes, why then are so many of us never experiencing that? Why do we not experience that kind of life? And, and I will tell you, there have been seasons in my life over the decades of, of my, my faith in Jesus Christ when, when the Christian life wasn't defined necessarily by power or peace all of the time and, and by fulfillment and, and even knowing what God's purpose for my life was at that exact moment. And instead, it consisted of turmoil and frustration and unmet needs and unrealized goals. And you know the story because your life is the same way, isn't it? You've gone through the same things where you said, God, is this all that there's going to be? Is this is this it? Is this what's going to happen in my life that that I'm going to go through this and it just isn't going to necessarily work today and 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 it's just going to be frustrating? 
And it, it is frustrating when that happens. And, 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 and during those times, uh, I, had, I had at one point what, what AA, uh, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous members say uh, is a, a moment of clarity. It came from reading James chapter 4. In fact, the passage we're going to be reading today. That, that it began to make some sense. Uh, and so, in this series called Vintage Christianity that we're looking at, um, and we've been working our way through, uh, we, we're finding this very practical, hands-on approach. And, and here we find, in chapter 4, James acknowledging that the Christian life may not always work for you, but there's a reason for it, and there's something that you can do about that. And, and it's very practical. The book of James dispels some myths that people have about, about early Christianity. There are a lot of people who have the idea that the early Christians were somehow better than we are, that, uh, that they didn't have any of the junk going on in their churches that, that, that we sometimes have going on in ours, that people have idea that the early Christians uh, you know, all thought alike, believed alike, um, believed the same things and acted the right way. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a wonderful church to be a part of? Uh, it wasn't for them either. They didn't have it. Don't you know? It, it wasn't there. It's just not true. And and then as now, there are some people in the church that that made commitments to follow Jesus Christ, and then they lived half committed lives. They stirred up trouble. They complained. They criticized, and they they argued and they gossiped and they and they stirred up trouble and 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 they made a nuisance of themselves and and then they wondered why their prayers weren't being answered and they and they wondered why their lives were always in a mess and James explains to them the source of the problem uh one day uh when i was reading this passage for i don't know 50th 60th 70th time uh in my life um i realized that James uh, at this season in my life was talking to me at that point as well. Read with or follow along with me as we read verses 1 through 3. This is how James begins chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. Uh, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And and as I read that again, I, I thought, well, except for the killing part, he just described to me. And... And so I, I let him continue. In verse 4, he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? And I go, wow, i got to read that one again. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And I thought, whoa, talk about a moment of clarity. This is one of those aha moments. And I want to submit to you today that if Christianity is not working for you the way you think it should, perhaps it's time for you to experience this moment of clarity. And perhaps it's time to realize that the problem is not with God, it is probably with you. And it is with you. And so, what is the source of our misery? Man, I'm miserable most of the time in my life. I didn't think that's what I was signing up for. So, what is the source of it? You go back to verse 1. What does he say? 
He says, what's the, what's the source of all these fights and quarrels and things? Don't they come from your, underline that word, desires. Our desires. That's the source of the misery. That's the source of why it's not working. Because of our desires. The word desires is translated, the word, uh, translates the word pleasure, um, in, in Greek. In the Greek, it is hedonai, which comes from the word hedonism. And we know what hedonism is. It's a self-serving type of lifestyle. And so he says that, that our, our misery comes from a self-serving type of lifestyle. It is self-serving desires. The desire causes us to go after wrong things in life. Or it causes us to go after right things in the wrong way. So sometimes we're just headed after stuff we know we shouldn't have. Sometimes we know what we need to have and what we should have as Christians, but we go about it wrong, and it gets messed up too. And either way, we feel frustrated. And either way, we think, Christianity's not working for me today, and I don't know why. And it's really all about our desires. James says, you scheme, and you kill, and you fight, and you quarrel. And, and I doubt very seriously that James was speaking literally when he said, you kill. He's writing to the church, and you got to think that they weren't all a bunch of murderers uh, in, that he was writing to. Uh, but, but the verb that he uses here uh, for you kill is very similar to the verb you envy. So James was probably using some kind of a colloquial saying that said, essentially, you stop at nothing to get what you want. There isn't anything that would hold you back from getting what you want to get, whether it's something you shouldn't have or you want what you should have, but you're willing to go after it the wrong way. You know, whatever the consequences might be in your life or somebody else's life or in the church's life or your family's life, whatever it is. And then he said, the reason that you don't have what you want is because you don't ask. You just don't ask. Um, you know, and we've probably all been there. I know I've been there. Uh, you know, when I knew what I wanted was right, so I didn't bother praying about it. But I still went after it anyway. You ever do that? You ever think, well, I know I should have that, whatever that is. So why do I got to bother to pray about it? You know why? Because if I prayed about it, God might say no. Or not now. Or maybe, you know, I have something else in store for you and I really don't want to hear any of those. I know what I want. Man, I remember when I was a youth pastor... I wanted, no, I needed, I knew I needed it. I needed a new Camaro. I needed one. And God talked to me, I talked to him and he talked to me. I said, God, I need a Camaro. And he said, no, you don't need one, you want it. I said, okay, well, I want a Camaro then. Because I'd use it in ministry. Every teenage kid would be thrilled to see their youth pastor drive up in a new Camaro. And he said, no, they wouldn't. I said, who are you going to listen to, God, me or them? And I thought, I don't want to talk to you about this anymore, God. I just want to figure out how to get it on my own. You know how many Camaros I ever drove in my whole life? 
You don't need any fingers to count. Zero. There's times when we just don't want to talk to God about it, and then we blame Him when we don't get what we wanted, or when we get it and it's all messed up. And so he said, you've got to be careful about what you're praying for and how you're doing that. And, uh, and, and so uh, James says that you, you don't have because you don't ask. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because you're not asking. You're asking for the wrong reasons and with the wrong motives. He, he says in verse 3, you spend your time. Uh, excuse me. You spend what you get on your pleasures. He says that's what it's really about. You just want to get to get for your pleasures. And then he says something that that just throws us a little bit. He says, you adulterers, calls these church members adulterers. Uh, you know, man, what a thing to say to church members. You adulterers. Actually, he uses a feminine form of that, of that word. He literally said, you adulteresses. And so he's referring to the Jewish... Uh, notion of spiritual adult, uh, adultery. He, he, we belong to God, and when we're not faithful to Him, it's just like one spouse cheating on another. He said, "You're you're like a spouse cheating on their spouse, and your spouse in this case is Jesus Christ, and you're cheating on Him." And so he says in verse four, uh, in the New Living Translation, "Don't you realize that friendship with this world?" makes you an enemy of God. I want you to underline those words, friendship with this world. Friendship with this world makes you an enemy of God. You've got to look at that phrase, friendship with this world, for just a moment, because it really becomes a crux of our problem. So, so what does that mean, friendship with this world? Now, it's not the same world that Jesus refers to in John 3.16, for example. John 3.16, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, his one and only Son. He gave Jesus Christ. There, the word world that Jesus uses is referring to people. For God so loved people. For God so loved Evelyn and Annette. For God so loved Bertha and Dorothy and Etolia. And we could go right down the line. For God so loved people that he sent Jesus Christ. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. But James is not referring to that kind of, of, of use of the word world. He's using it differently. He's using a word that refers to a mindset, to an attitude that, that is prevalent in, in this anti-God environment that we live in. Uh, this is an attitude that can be summarized as, it's all about me. It's, it's really all about me, and, and I want things that are about me. The world's attitude really comes down to, I'm not going to live for God. I'm going to live for myself. I'm, I'm not going to try to please God. I want to please myself. I'm not going to help others. I only want to help myself. And, and, and if I do help others, it will only be after I've taken care of myself first and only if helping them makes me feel good and only if helping them means that I'm going to get recognition for my generosity in helping somebody else. And, and only if the people that I help know that they owe me big time because why it should all be about me. That's the mindset that 
James is talking about. That's the, that's the attitude that people have. When he says friendship with this world, friendship with this attitude of it's all about me. What's in it for me? How do I get what I want? And, and I don't really care whether you get what you need. And so friendship with this world is all about trying to satisfy my pride. It's about trying to satisfy my ego. It's about trying to satisfy my desires. And what's the source of our problems? Our desires. But my whole, my whole mindset, my whole worldly mindset says, I've got to satisfy those desires. And so friendship with the world is trying to prove who you are, trying to impress others with what you have and with what you've done, and trying to get uh, what you think you deserve. And, and there are a lot of Christians who live, non-Christians who live this way, obviously. You don't have to look very far to find them. But I've got to tell you, a lot of Christians that live this way as well. Who, this, is, this is how we choose to live. Uh, there are people uh, with, within the context of Christianity that live with the objective of making life easy and comfortable as they can for themselves. And, and those people who find, uh, uh, those are the people who eventually find themselves saying, you know what, this isn't working. This Christian thing is not working. It's not what I thought it was going to be. Uh, and, and, of course, the, the reality is, is that that mindset, trying to marry it with Christianity, never will work. It just will never work. Verse 4 says again, I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. That's how he sums it up. So let's clarify. He said, and this is my paraphrase, if your aim is to enjoy the world... Not if your aim is to enjoy this life. You're going to be in trouble. You see, Satan lies to us and he confuses us. And he makes enjoying the world synonymous with our lives. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't confuse those two. He keeps them separate. God wants you to enjoy this life. He wants you to enjoy your marriage. He wants you to enjoy your children. He wants you to enjoy your your job. He wants you to enjoy your friends. He wants you to enjoy your church. He wants you to enjoy... He wants you to to enjoy to the point that he gives you and he promises you an abundant life, uh, a life to the fullest. But you can't get there by trying to enjoy this world. You cannot get there by that mindset that says it's all about me. It just doesn't get there at all. If your decision making is that I'm going to put me in the center of everything... Then the, then the joy and the fulfillment in this life is going to pass you by. You're never going to find it there. It's time, perhaps today, for some of us to have that moment of clarity. It's time to recognize that truth about ourselves and to say, this is why my life doesn't always work. Or maybe it's not working or hasn't worked for a long time when I talk about Christianity because I'm living for myself. I'm doing what, what everything uh, around me, what everything in the world is telling me to do, and then somehow I'm hoping to find fulfillment in my Christian walk, and it's never there. Um, 
and I'm because I'm leaving God out of the equation in everything. I'm, I'm trying to satisfy my self-serving desires instead of trying to please Him, and and it's time for a change. And so the big question I want to, I want you to answer today is this: How do you get there from here? If I'm over here and I'm frustrated with life and it's not happening and I'm not finding fulfillment and joy and purpose in my Christian, my Christian walk, then how do I get from where I am over here to where I find that, where I find that abundant living, where I find that glorifying God, where I find that ministry and that purpose that, that I hear other people talk about, but I just never seem to find it, or I don't hold on to it very long. How do I get from there to there? How do I get from where I am to where I need to be? And James sums it up in one phrase in verse 8. In verse 8, I gave it to you in New Living Translation. He said, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. I'm over here where I'm frustrated, and I don't know how to get to where God is. And he says, if I'll just draw near to Him, that God then draws near to me. And all of a sudden, that, that fulfillment and that joy and that peace of living the Christian life comes to fruition. And the, it's got to be the, one of the most wonderful promises in all of Scripture here in, in James chapter 4, 8. James says, if you make an effort to get closer to God, then God will meet you along the way. He doesn't pull back. He comes forward. Uh, because we've all experienced those things, haven't we, where, where we're, we're odds with somebody uh, or there's problems. You know, maybe it's a, a, somebody in our family or, or a friend or a co-worker uh, or somebody at church. And we're thinking, man, I got to get right with them and I, I, I want to have that relationship with them. And, and we don't right now. And so I take a step toward them, but they're not ready to, to have that with me. And what they do, they take a step back or maybe even two steps back. So every time I try to draw closer to them, I I find myself at least as far away, if not further away. But the good news is, is that God is not our friends. He's not our relatives. He's not our co-workers. God is very different than any of them. He is perfect. He's holy and he loves us. And he says when we start to make uh, an effort to draw near to him, he goes toward us, not away from us. And he draws near to us. He comes close to us. And, and, he, and he begins to, to, to envelop us in his grace. And... Um, the closer you get to God, the further you get from those things that hinder the Christian life. As I draw near to him and he draws me closer to himself and he's drawing closer to me, then those things of the world, that, that worldly mindset that it's all about me, just seems to be further and further and further away from my reality. And instead, the things of God and the things that he wants to do and the things of ministry and purpose and love and joy and peace, all of those things are, are, are part of my reality at that point. And so here's the paradox. The paradox is the more you live for pleasing God, the more he showers good things on you. I've been trying really hard to get all that good stuff and it doesn't do anything for me. But as I draw near to God, part of the deal is he says, but I want to shower you with the things that you need. I want to shower you with those good things that, that you're looking for. David said it this way in Psalm 37 verse 4. King David said, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. 
He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, you know, I've always read that verse uh, two ways. One, because I think about some desires that I that I that I my heart could come up with. And I'm thinking, man, God wouldn't give me that desire. Uh, you know, so does David know what he's talking about? I, I think David does know what he's talking about. But I, I read that to say that he'll influence your desires, helping you to want those things that are right and good. Uh, when I'm over here and I'm in my own flesh and I'm saying, God, this is what I want. Man, I really want that new Camaro. Uh, and there's not anything wrong with a Camaro. But when you're, you know, broke youth pastor uh, with with two little kids, it's probably not the best choice in the world uh, and um, to get in debt for. Uh, he's probably not going to give me that desire because it's going to harm me and harm my family, uh, harm my ministry, harm my church and everything else at that point. Uh, so he's going to he's going to influence those things. But then you read it, it says he'll give you whatever good things that you want. But but your focus is not on the thing because now my focus is on him. My focus is on God, not the things that I want. And and um, and so I delight myself in him. I delight myself in God and my relationship with him. And all that other stuff kind of blurs away anyway at that point because God is so overwhelming in, in his holiness, in his love. Um, and so if your Christian life isn't what it should be, then you need to draw close to God and he's going to draw, draw close to you. And you say, well, Pastor Terrell, that sounds good, but how do I do it? How do I do that? How do I draw close to God? Um, and I and I, I want you to know what happens inside. You begin by telling him, God, I'm I'm very serious about this. I'm going to be taking a spiritual step in your direction, and and I want to know you. I want more of you. This is my intent, God. I'm stuck over here in the midst of my desires in a wrong world mindset, uh, and I don't want that anymore. And so I'm going to draw close to you, and and. And I want to be more like you, God. I want to be able to say that all I want is you. That's the main desire of my heart, God, is that I would know you. And that I would have that relationship with you. And, and that no matter what's going on in your life, and no matter how complicated seem, seem, uh, things may seem to be, um, no matter how cold your heart feels, no matter how restless your, your selfish desires have become, you can begin taking this step in God's direction. You can begin to experience His peace. And every one of us here today can do that. And so, in these last couple of verses, James gives us a list of things to do in order to get away from the the way things are in our lives to the way they ought to be. And I'm just going to quickly go over them real fast. I'm calling this the draw near checklist. You know, we, we talk about drawing near to God and we're not sure exactly what that means or how we do it. So here's just five points James gives us. He says, here's five things you can check off. Are you doing these five things? And I suggest you keep, you hang on to them. That, uh, and it's the backside of your notes, just your sermon notes. Just draw on your checklist. And, and just, just hang on to those and make sure you're going through those every day. And, and can I check that off today? Can I check this one off? Can I check number one off? Can I check number two off today? Uh, because if, if I'm not able to check them off, I'm not drawing near to God, and then he's not going to be drawing near to me. So let's go through them very quickly. First of all, James says this. He says, make sure you're putting God in his proper place. Make sure you're putting God 
in its proper place. He says in verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord. That's saying, I'm not the center of the universe. God, you are. It's not about me. It's about you. So, God, I'm sorry. I'm over here. My, my inclination is to make everything about me because that's what everything in the world tells me to do. But I know that's not right. And so I am, I am consciously going to say, God, I'm coming over here to humble myself before you today. So as I start out the day and as I go through the day, there are times I need to remind myself to humble myself before God, and that's acknowledging that God is the center, that it's really about Him, not about me. And so, am I humbling myself? Am I putting God in His proper place? Number two is very similar to it, but, but has, a, has an opposite effect. Make sure you're putting the devil in his proper place. Now, I've got to put God in his proper place to make him the center of everything. But the problem is the devil doesn't want me to do that. He kind of likes me over here where, where really he is the center of everything. And so I have, to, I have to consciously say, God, not only am I humbling myself before you, but to Satan, I have to say, I am going to resist you purposely, Satan. I know we've been pretty good buddies most of my life, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to purposely turn my back on you. I'm going to oppose you. I'm going to stand up to you. In verse 7, James says, resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. He will flee from you. Resist the devil. Uh, I said, you draw near to God and he's going to draw near to you. Uh, And that's the most wonderful promise. Uh, And this one's just really a close second. If you resist the devil, then something's going to happen. In the Greek tense that that the, the, the verbiage that that James is using, he says literally uh, that you are to oppose or to stand up to him. So you say, you know what, Satan, we're done. Right now, we're done. I am, I am opposing you, and I am going to draw close to God, and I'm going to humble myself before him. And Satan has no attack for that. He has, he has no way to overcome that. The Bible says he cannot eventually he has to give up and go away, at least for that period of time. And so when the devil comes, he's going to come at you in all kinds of forms of temptation. He's going to tell you that you deserve better than this. He's going to tell you that that you deserve to have nice things, that people don't appreciate you and that you should get more recognition and yada, yada, yada. He's just going to keep on and keep on and keep on. And when and when those ideas find their way into your consciousness, then you need to make sure that you oppose him. You need to say, you know, Satan, excuse me, that's not what, what I need because I'm opposed to that because I'm drawing near to God because he's the one who's the sinner. He's the one who deserves all of that. And so you just very consciously oppose him. It's not like you just hope he doesn't notice that you've gone over to the other side now. No, he, he's... You have to tell him, this is what I'm doing, and I, am, and I am resisting you, Satan, and I don't want you over there. And then thirdly, make sure that you're taking steps toward a closer relationship with God. You make sure that you put God in his proper place, you make sure that you've put Satan in his proper place, and now you're going to make sure you're taking steps toward a closer relationship with God. Verse 8 again says, draw near to God, and what? He will draw near to you. 
And that's what we're talking about, this whole sermon. How do you draw near to God? And so you're, you're, you're making sure you're doing these things. And so that means that maybe you have this on your refrigerator, maybe because you go there a lot, right? And, and so you say, did I do this today? Did I do this today? You have it on, in the inside of your Bible. You, you mem- these aren't hard to do. You memorize these things. And you're just going through that mental checklist. You're saying, all right, God, am I, am I doing these things today? And, um, and, and I need to make sure that I am. And then number four, you make sure that you're getting rid of what you need to get rid of. There's going to be some stuff that you need to throw out. There's some things that that can't be a part of your life anymore. As you humble yourself before God and, and you resist Satan and you're saying, God, now I'm taking these steps toward a relationship with you, then the next step is going to be to do a little bit of house cleaning. And God's going to say, then you're going to get rid of some things. You can't put me in my proper place in your life if there's garbage there. And so there's some stuff that's going to have to go away. Are you serious about this? And so he's going to say, do some things. Verse 8, he says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's speaking really bluntly, isn't he? He's using words like sinners, and, and uh, depending on the, the, the version of the Bible you're reading, it's either double-minded or hypocrites, in case you like something that's even a little stronger sounding, because he intends to be taken seriously on this. Uh, in drawing near to God, you're going to have to eliminate some stuff from your life. Maybe it's that selfish attitude that you have that says that, that, that you've kept in your heart, that, that says, you know, I'm washing my hands of this, God, and, and I'm not thinking that way anymore. At least that's not what I want to do. Or, or maybe it's the way you've been investing your time. And so you say, God, um, maybe I'm not going to waste that time anymore and, my, and, and, and I'm going to give this time to you, which belongs to you anyway. Or maybe it's that a sin that you've allowed to just fester in your life and, to, and you've just in, indulged in it. And it's time to say, I'm putting a stop to this and, and I'm getting it out of my life. I'm going to let Jesus wash that away. And as you draw closer to God, you've got to be aware that there are going to be some attitudes, there are going to be some things that you have, have held on to that you know are wrong, but you have enjoyed them, and, and they are no longer fit for your lifestyle. And so you're going to let go of them. You're going to let Jesus take care of them and just wash you whiter than snow, as, as Dave was reading earlier. And then, fifthly, make sure that you're not just going through the motions. Make sure that you're not just checking stuff off a list. Say, all right, I did, I did, I did. But you haven't really done anything. Make sure that there's some substance behind what you're saying. Verse 9 says this. In verse 9, he says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. I want you to hear that in the Message Bible. And the Message Bible is a paraphrase. And, and sometimes it's really good because it helps us really get to the bottom of what's, what's going on. And in fact, this one really does. In verse 9, he, he, uh, Peterson translates this or, or paraphrases it this way. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious. Really serious. Sound like he needs business? James isn't saying that this should be our emotional state permanently. To to cry and mourn and to wail. 
But he does say that we need to approach this repentance permanent, uh, uh, with deep sincerity. We need to recognize how sinful, self-serving, and self-seeking attitudes have, have brought havoc into our lives and, and how they separated us from the presence of God. And it ought to, it ought to cause us to cry. It ought to ca- cause us to hurt for a while. And each one of us needs to admit that there are problems. And the problem is with me. And I'm to blame for my sin and for my selfishness. Christian life doesn't work sometimes. Because we go about it the wrong way. We, we try to have just enough God in our lives. So that it gives us the things we want. We want enough of God to make us feel good. But we don't want so much of God that we have to give up our pride, that we have to give up our ego, and certainly we don't want so much that we have to give up our desires to please ourselves. But it never works. That Christian life never works. And if you've been trying it for any amount of time, you know what I'm saying is true. It just won't happen. So James concludes this section by saying in verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Don't have to lift yourself up. Jesus will do it for you. The purpose of the Christian life is not that you'd be beaten down and miserable. The purpose is that you're going to be full of joy. That you're going to be experiencing his blessings day in and day out. But there's only one way to get there. And that's by putting your desires on the back burner and, and turning that burner off completely and putting God front and center of your life. Practice the principle. We've been practicing. He's been sharing principles with us all through this book of James. And today he says, practice the principle of renewal. Practice the principle of renewal. Here's how Peter described that in Acts. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, he said, Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's renewal. Times of refreshing, that's renewal. Sins gone, that's renewal. He said, that's what God wants to do, and that he will do in your life when you draw near to him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that there is renewal in Jesus Christ. And sometimes we need that renewal more than once. We need it over and over. There are times when we just simply say, God, I need to be renewed today because I've, I've become too self-centered. I've made it about me again today, Father, and I'm sorry. So would you renew my heart? If you've never had your heart become brand new, then Jesus Christ will give you a brand new one by just putting your faith in him. Saying, Jesus, I don't know how to get from where I am to where you are. I certainly don't know how to get to heaven. But I believe that you're God's son and that you died for me 2,000 years ago. And that all I have to do is put my faith in you. And so I'm going to do that today. I want to trust you to be my savior. 
Please forgive me for my sins. Become the Savior and Lord of my life. And thank you for loving me at the cross. Father, we understand that the Christian life will work. And it can work. And it's your desire that would work in all of our lives. Help us to draw close to you even today. We pray these things in Christ's name. I'm going to ask you.